Lisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Kids like me. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plime and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system. But we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hey, Diana. Hey, Erin. We may have to change that. I learned a lot of shit today. Did you? I did. Something I didn't even know. It was one of those like crime adjacent things that I was, I had never considered. And then I learned about. It'll come up at the end of my story. You'll have to just wait. Oh, you keep teasing me with these things. I know. I like it. Build the suspense. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Keep everyone engaged. Um, So we're going to mix things up starting this time. See how it goes. Yeah, we are. Um, And we're going to start with super happy fun stuff. (gasps) We are. So first up, we would like to tell you that Crime Crazy is sponsored by David Hatt and Seb Bryce. Thank you. Two of our favorite boys. Yes. Patreon sponsors support Crime Crazy at the $10 a month level or higher, but you can also support us at a bunch of different levels, including one-time donations. Our new goals include a new logo and stickers, because, well, I need stickers. And... What are we what are we saving Patreon money for, Diana? Something exciting. Oh, we're going to that conference in Chicago. That's going to be so I cool. Cannot wait. It is a conference of true crime podcasters. How much more fun could you possibly have? Like I'm not ugh. sure. Although we, this does make me think that we need to speed up this new logo getting process so we can put it on t-shirts so we can wear them at the conference. I definitely agree, which means, guys, we need you to go visit Patreon, look at our different adorable levels, and support us, and then come and see us. Yes. Oh, it's going to be so fun. All right. You can follow Crime Crazy on all the social medias at Crime Crazy Pod or visit our website at crimecrazypodcast.com. Find all of our uh, episode information and how to follow us personally if you want to see weird things about my house and kid and Aaron's kids pie. mostly. Yeah, and pie oh, cookies. Pie, pie, pie cookies. day cookies. Yep. 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 Um, and then, of course, leave us a review. That is the best way to support Crime Crazy. 
Yes. Leave us a review. We love hearing from you in the form of reviews in really any way. This week, Erin, we got reviews. (gasps) What? We got reviews. We got lovely reviews from our friends APB Finance and JS Thy Art Murder. Ooh. Thank you. Thank Two you, guys. Nice. So exciting. I feel so uh, If you leave us a review, we might shout you out or repost you on social media or, I don't know, how about we send them our firstborns? Can I send them my lastborn? Because we had to put that little one to bed before 5 p.m. today if she was going to survive <laughs> the night. Well, from my end, it doesn't matter because there's only one. So we can put up our firstborns, our lastborns, our middles. It's all good. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm with it. I'm good. All right. Awesome. So we like reviews of all kinds and value feedback of all kinds, but... We like the five-star ones the best. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't? Also, we're going to be way better at this by next week. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great. Let's move on. All right. So, Erin, you have been teasing me about all of these things that you learned this week. Oh, my God, Diana, I learned something this week. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) All right. So, I learned something. This is tangentially related to a crime in that my sister, for my birthday, which was in May, has recently, as in like last month, sent me my birthday present. And what it was, was um, all of the Robert Galbraith books. And here is where I feel a little less bad about being such a terrible Harry Potter fan. Because <laughs> that look that you just gave me with the like, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know what you're talking, was exactly my, yeah. So Robert Galbraith is J.K. Rowling's other pen name. I Once you said Harry Potter fan, it it clicked because yes. I'm so bad with remembering authors. Like I'll remember yes. books. Yeah. Do not know who wrote them. So I listened okay. to, well, I listened to and read, I decided to do both for uh, cuckoo's calling. Okay. And now I am on to the silkworm and a couple chat. And so they, it's, it's murder related because these are mystery books because he's a private eye. Mm-hmm. And the first one, there was like death in it. I don't know if there's death in this one or not. We'll see. Um, but the one of the characters said, oh, my God, did you know? And then started talking about silkworms. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a sec. So I went, <laughs> I had to go Google to see if this was true. Because it turns out I'm kind of an idiot about the world around me. Do you, <laughs> do you know anything about silk? It's pretty and it feels good. Yeah, where does it and come it's from? And it's made by worms? And it's made by worms. I thought, I guess in my head, I just always assumed that it was one of those things like, you could get it from worms, but mostly we get it from a goat. Oh, or you a, didn't know it was all from the worms. I did not know it was all from the worms. So then I did some research and I found out all of the like cool shit about this process. Cool and cruel. So... <sighs> First, you did not read that book whose author I can think of, but cannot pronounce in the title I cannot think of. But there was a lot about silkworms in there. <laughs> well, I am currently reading The Silkworm, and there is also a lot about silkworms yeah. in there. <laughs> so first thing that I learned that everybody else already knew is that silk comes from silkworms. <laughs> um, I looked at some pictures of the moths that they make. 
mm-hmm. if they don't produce if you aren't using them for silk because that tragedy is about to happen here but um you would recognize all of them like they're they're like if you think of like a fancy moth like this was the one that you would draw right this you would know them so oh, wow. they eat mulberry leaves these caterpillars mm-hmm. and then they spin a cocoon and then they are captured which really is giving silkworm farmers far too much credit because they're just collected you can't they can't run away in a cocoon <laughs> they're fairly firmly affixed is my they understanding are. they are <laughs> so then the horribleness happens which this was sort of the surprising thing um they they don't like cut they don't like let it hatch and then it goes on to become a pretty moth and then they use the cocoon that it has discarded nope that might damage the fiber and it creates too much work so instead they just boil the whole fucking thing and dissolve the little worm inside its cocoon so basically they let it do the hard part of its life and Mm -hmm. grow and spin the cocoon and just when it thinks it's going to be a beautiful moth they kill it in boiling water and then they unwind the cocoon which is a half mile long silk fiber half a mile right it takes 3,000 worms to make a kilogram of silk fiber and if you are weaving something like a silk kimono Mm -hmm. that's uh, about a kilogram and two thirds it's like 5,000 worms worth of silk that you need so there are also other bugs that make silk that we could use there are some other caterpillars that uh, are wild that have silken cocoons that people Mm -hmm. do harvest but it's um, it's not as good or reliable a fiber it's not like a very consistent color so it's not as valued and also it's a lot harder to come by because they're all wild they're not like nobody's making a farm of these particular caterpillars um there are also grasshoppers that spin silk and then of course yeah and then of course (laughs) spiders spin silk their silk is the most amazing and what people would most like to use but the problem with both of those is that they do it throughout their entire lives which is great because you wouldn't have to kill them to get it but Mm -hmm. they only do a little bit at a time and so it would be really hard to gather and they were talking about like in this in the instance of spiders that you couldn't have like you can have a silkworm farm where you plant Mm -hmm. a gazillion mulberry bushes and then you harvest most of them and then you let the other ones grow into moths and lay eggs and rinse repeat um but with spiders they since they eat meat they eat each other and every species of spider would just you couldn't put them in the vicinity even if they were very well fed they would still eat each Mm -hmm. other they're very territorial so it's not efficient enough it's a bummer. Right? So yeah, that's that's what I learned. That is really fascinating. Even though you knew um, some of it. Well, I, I mean, I knew that silkworms made silk, but it never really occurred to me to think that there might be, I don't know, filler? Is that the wrong word? Like something else in there? Or that it was... Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I guess I thought, like when I think of a worm... That is a really inefficient way to gather a fiber. Like a right. cotton plant, fine, easy to gather lots of it. A sheep, sheep are pretty big, right? Then you think of rabbit and you're like, well, I understand why like Angora is so expensive. Right. But the thought of it, I mean, they're all 
they're worms. They're like two inches well, long. Well, that's a disingenuous name too because they're it's, not worms. They're they're, they're, caterpillars. they're caterpillars. Um, I didn't realize. I think what I didn't realize necessarily that it was the cocoon. I don't know if I just thought they pooped out silk or what I thought. Right. But well, so it also makes me wonder. I don't know what they're called, but and I don't know if you guys have them here, actually. We had them all the time back in Virginia, but they are short, brown, very thin caterpillars that are fuzzy mm-hmm. and, and very friendly. And they spin those giant nests that just mm-hmm. destroy trees. Is oh. that a gatherable, usable fiber? So we don't have those. I'm thinking of the little brown fuzzy caterpillars that we all used to like put in jars and feed geranium leaves and then they die. Oh, like fuzzy wuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't think we have those. They're called tent caterpillars. Oh, I don't think so. So, and the problem is they would kill the trees, right? They're actually super, super like tame caterpillars. They're mm. not afraid of people. They're very hardy. You, you can find, I mean, they're... Like this photo, which I guess I'll just have to either cut or post about this somewhere. But um, they're like this. You can find them in handfuls. So I I have to imagine they're an invasive species. But at the same time, like, should we be harvesting and spinning this fiber? Well, and with that, I mean, I suppose the tree is already on its way out because separating it, that seems pretty firmly attached the way it's wrapped around the tree yeah you'd almost be a have problem to, to get it off cut it yeah you'd have yeah. to cut it into into spans and then re-spin it i think which that's why with the silkworms they boil them alive because they don't want to have separate fibers they want one long fiber right. which they can get if they which is also what makes silk so strong yeah I remember when Liam was in preschool and his preschool teacher bought some variety of caterpillar, I forget what, to grow in the class and show yeah, how that process. whole thing goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was looking at the cage once they'd spun their cocoons and there were little things underneath the cocoons. And I said, like, what's that? Oh, that's their heads. I'm like, what do you mean that's their heads? Yeah. And apparently this variety of cocoon or uh, caterpillar, when it spun its cocoon, it kind of liquefied in there and then like reconstituted, but with a whole new head. Isn't that how it all works? I thought that was how all of it worked. Is it? That is fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) How do you you make a new head out of like It's just like the shell of their head. But it's just the shell of their head. It's not like their so nervous their system. Tiny or... brain is floating around in there. All of them is floating around in there. That's why they have to build right, these the strong like cocoons. Otherwise, they could just like be like frogs and have their bodies change out in the open. Right, but then their brains just like unprotected that seems like a really bad idea although they're bugs i suppose their brain is not super valuable to the well and their brain is not like our brain either right it's yeah nerve endings and whatever but it's not like ours i suppose i don't know why that is just always deeply freaked me out yes but it's not unprotected they have a new it's just that it's it's like your entire body going into your skull 
and being protected by your soul, <laughs> right? not making me feel better about <laughs> God, nothing. <laughs> what did you learn this week? Because I assume oh. it's not liquefied caterpillars. No, 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 no. Uh, um, so you're going to laugh at this, and then I'm going to explain it. I'm ready. Corned beef is Irish. Okay. So um, I, I do want to laugh at this, but at the same time, I understand where this is coming from because I believe I heard you last week telling everybody it wasn't. I, because I was wrong. Okay. So I am ready. Tell me how corned beef is Irish. Okay. So first of all, I have to say we are recording this before my favorite holiday, which is St. Patrick's Day. Woohoo! It's my favorite. So I had to look up something um, Irish and came upon corned beef because, again, I kind of, that is the story I'd always heard that the reason corned beef is associated with Irish people is because when they came to this country, they moved into Jewish neighborhoods and they had adopted corned beef from their Jewish neighbors because they couldn't get Irish bacon because you still can't get that in this country unless you know where to look. Right. So it was Um, like the closest thing to what they wanted. It was the closest thing that they had. So they adapted to it. And that's a tiny bit right. But there's more. So traditionally, beef wasn't really eaten much in Ireland. Cows were a very important source of dairy, but they wanted to keep them alive because dead cows don't produce milk. It's true. It was actually the English that brought their beef-loving ways to Ireland. And then in the 1660s, they passed the Cattle Acts. And these laws prohibited the export of cattle to England and kept Irish beef in Ireland, making it more affordable for the average person. Okay. Beef was often salted to preserve it because no refrigerators. Yeah. Um, mostly no ice. I that that is one major reason I could not go back and live at any point in history. Like I like for my things to be cold. So cold. I like for them not to be moldy. Oh, big fan of that too. Yeah. And not oversalted, so like that's not even gonna help me. I just, I don't like a lot of salt on things most of the time. Except hard eggs. But even not a ton of salt, just a little. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would just be so thirsty all the time, and all the water was full of cholera. It's true. No good. No. Anywho, that was a really good segue. the original source of the word corn in corned beef is from the germanic word i'm not going to pronounce this right kernam Mm -hmm. meaning small seed and in the 17th century around the same time as those cattle acts salted beef started using the name corned beef because of the large kernels of rock salt that was used to preserve it england loved corned beef but ireland made it Ireland had lower taxes on imported salt, so they could get the really good stuff that England couldn't. Mm. The quality of the salt is almost as important as the cut of meat in corned beef. So this really good salt made corned beef popular all over the Western world, going as far as the West Indies and the United States. But as demand for the Irish corned beef grew, prices went high enough that the regular Irish family could no longer afford it. So they went back to primarily eating pork and a new crop from South America, the potato. 
Ha ha ha. <laughs> the new crop, the potato. Yeah, which I so just that didn't guess I assumed they always had. No, that was from South America. Potatoes from South America. Interesting. Yeah, so the potato is brought over. It grows great in Ireland because it's damp and kind of cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's the potato famine. Wiped out a whole lot of Irish people. A lot more Irish people came to this country in Canada. Yeah. That's how my family came here. Um, so the Irish weren't exactly welcomed with open arms into the U.S. What? No. Yeah. You ever seen one of those antique no colored, no Irish signs? Yeah. We're a terrible people. Pretty much we don't like anyone. Oh, goodness not. We certainly don't. So since the Irish weren't uh, really embraced, they often settled in Jewish neighborhoods and the Jewish and Irish communities came pretty close. Sure. Um, it's likely that the Irish folks were buying their meat at Jewish butcher shops. And Jewish butcher shops really like to work in brisket. So it's likely that the Jewish butchers used that cut of meat to make the corned beef that their Irish friends and neighbors craved. Oh, that's such a happy story. <laughs> yeah. So although the roots are in Ireland, corned beef is really an American food. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself in Ireland on St. Patty's Day, you'll notice that, A, it's not much celebrated there. Uh, and you'll probably be served good old Irish bacon, which if you're local, Irish on Grand sometimes has it. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Irish bacon, because you keep talking about this. I'm very familiar with corned beef. Um, so Irish bacon is, is it like the pork version of corned beef. No, no, no. It's just, it's bacon from a different part of the pig. Oh. Um, you should look at my sign in my kitchen, which lays out the English bacon, yes. the Irish no, bacon, and Canadian bacon. your pig's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um. By the way, my sister, the vegan, bought me that sign. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a little bit thicker. It's almost like very thin pork chops, but again, slightly different part of the pig. Gotcha. So yeah, a little bit more hearty, a uh, lot less fatty. Still super salty? Oh, yeah. Does it crunch? Can you make it crispy? Um, I'm not a great cook, and I was cooking on a stove in a hotel, or like a Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> so I never got it to crispy. It's it's a little bit too thick almost to get crispy. I think if it's crispy, you wouldn't want to eat it. Right. Yeah jerky yeah i i have some things to say about jerky at the end of this episode (laughs) i didn't know you had such strong feelings about jerky nope it's well i do have strong feelings about this (laughs) okay (laughs) i am intrigued um your your thing you learned is the perfect segue into my crime so (gasps) i'm gonna go first (laughs) awesome that's amazing (laughs) all right so um, I warned you that this was going to happen. Just so you know, this should not be a shock to anyone. <laughs> because uh, the woman that was murdered in the story that I did last week told all of her friends that if she went missing, her husband had murdered her and fed her to the pigs. Mm-hmm. And I said, I just know this is headed toward a pig story. <laughs> Here's the pig story. <laughs> so, Yay. Delicious, um, delicious pig. You would not want to eat this woman's pigs. 
Well, or maybe you would. We'll talk about that later. Susan Monica is a female serial killer. Oh, <gasps> I know. What? She was born July 8, 1948. She owned a farm in rural Weimar, Oregon. And this okay. farm was a pig farm. Yay. Which is never good. <laughs> so Susan had a an employee named Stefan or yeah, maybe Stephen, maybe Stefan. His last name is Delacino. I think it's Delacino. We're going with it. He was a handyman that she employed on her property because she was a single woman who owned a pig farm and was rather old. Um, mm-hmm. He also was rather old. He was 59 years old. Um, and then in 2012, he like went missing. And oh. no one knew what had happened. And I guess she knew the family enough to like know that he was missing and they had contacted her to find out what she knew. And But there was just no one ever found him or found any evidence of anything. He just was gone. Hmm. So in 2013, she was forced to hire a new handyman. And this time she hired Robert Haney, who was 56. But then in September of that year, he also went missing. Hmm. Hmm. So in January, the authorities arrived at Monica's house um, because she had been using Haney's food stamps card to buy her groceries. And Mm. since they had been told he was missing, this was fraud. And so they came to her to say, hey, this is fraudulent. Also, why do you have his food stamps card? Also, like, what do you know about him being missing? This is the second guy to go missing on your farm. And that's when they searched her home and they found evidence of human remains. So they searched the entire property. Her property was just amazingly awful. Piles of garbage, animal bones everywhere, no running water, no sewage, no like like sewage facilities at all. Um, she on a pig farm on a pig farm. Oh. Everything was filthy. There were smells of rot. Like it was, it's hazardous to even be in the area. So they had to search this property. And after searching for a really long time, they found parts of two humans. The first one, 56-year-old Robert Haney, the handyman who had gone missing in 2013. The second one was initially unidentified because it was a little bit older, but later they determined that it was Delacino, who had gone missing in 2012. So everything was disgusting and horrible. They, um, they took what they could find of these two bodies and they autopsied them looking for cause of death. And they found a couple of things. One, they both had gunshot wounds and two, they both had been gnawed on by something not human. And three, they both had been dismembered by a blade. Oh. Yes. So her farm was 20 acres. 
they dug over 50 holes looking for any other evidence or victims, but they didn't find anything other than these two bodies. They Mm -hmm. very quickly determined that the pigs were the creatures that had been gnawing on the human remains. And so they euthanized all of them, which is why I say you would not want to eat them because they had eaten people. A former (sighs) resident, so perhaps a former employee, someone that had lived there or worked on the farm, had witnessed Monica in the past feeding dead house pets and livestock to the pigs. So this was her normal disposal method is that, you know, if something died, she would toss it to the pigs and they would eat it. So, of course, the police bring her in and they interview her. She told investigators that uh, Mr. Delacino had shot himself in the head multiple times, but that didn't really fit what was going on because, like, you don't really shoot yourself in the head multiple times. And yeah, she so then, only get once. Yeah, later she said, actually, it was self-defense. He had attacked her and she had shot him in the head multiple times and she also said that um after this happened she was like freaked out or whatever she left when she came back the pigs were already eating him and so she had dragged him away to bury him but that she didn't feed him to the pigs like they just came across him but wasn't he chopped up yeah well mm-hmm, yeah so okay <laughs> so so the pigs got out a an axe or something right and chopped him into bite-sized pieces and then ate him and then ate him <laughs> and then in the time when she was like away but when she saw what they were doing she took him away and buried him right never calling the police after she'd been attacked and forced to kill somebody right and then found her pigs eating right yeah no why would you call anybody about that no, you definitely shouldn't. No. In regard to Haney, Monica claimed that he had disappeared from her farm the summer of 2013. And later, when she went out to check on the pigs, she found him and they were disemboweling him. They were eating his stomach. And that she shot him to death to ease his suffering because it was clear to her that he couldn't be saved and she didn't want him to suffer being eaten alive by pigs. But then later on, she went back and forth on whether or not he had been alive when she shot him or maybe like he was already dead because the pigs were eating his guts. Um And then I guess, although she didn't offer an explanation, but that she must have collected what the pigs had not eaten because they managed to find bits of him in plastic bags in her barn. Ugh. Yeah. So, a couple of things about her. Um, Even during the trial, she was really unruly. She had to be removed multiple times. She kept wanting to stand up and demonstrate how she had shot the men um, in an attempt to, like, prove that she, I don't know, maybe she was, like, thinking through and coming up with, well, maybe it would have been more believable if I had done this. Let me show them this. And just, like, no filter. She gave interviews to the press, all kinds of things. Um, She had one videotaped interrogation with the police that was shown at the trial in which she said, I don't value human life very much. My feeling is the only thing wrong with the planet is that there's people on it. If not for us, all the other people, or all the other animals, even dodo birds, would be here. And she told investigators that the reason that she didn't call the police when she had to kill Delacino out of self-defense mm-hmm. was because she worried they would put down her pigs for eating him. She did not so, help herself 
on that. She did not. Right before, like right at the very, very end of the trial, they had to remove her for trying to demonstrate again how she shot the men. And she didn't get to come back until like the verdict because she just couldn't, she couldn't be allowed to be in there. Um, So she was 66 years old when she stood trial. She had been charged with the shooting death and dismemberment of 59-year-old Stephen Delacino and 56-year-old handyman Robert Hanley, um, or Hanny. And she fit the FBI's criteria for serial killer, which is a person who kills at least two people in separate acts that are not part of a running crime spree. And I know there's a little more to it than that, but... Mm-hmm. It counts when that number is low, right? And then also, um, the like cool down period and the reason that you're killing people, and all, but I don't know how much of that is how much of that is like the legal definition to categorize someone as a serial killer versus like the psychological, um, like profile profiling of a serial killer. I don't know if there is a real legal definition of a serial killer because you don't get charged with serial killing people you get charged with individual murders well no but then you would be categorized in like crime databases and statistics as serial killer would you do they categorize like spree and mercy and all those other things oh so mercy we'll get there in a second um (laughs) so, so uh she pled guilty to both count or no I'm sorry she pled not guilty to both counts of murder <laughs> but every time she you opened guilty. your mouth you told us how you did it <laughs> yes well she pled guilty or not guilty god I can't say it <laughs> she pled not guilty to murder abuse of a corpse and identity theft uh identity theft like there's no wiggle room there yeah no um but I guess she considered what she had done not murder because one was self-defense and one was a mercy killing where she may or may not have actually killed the person because he might have already been dead, but she shot him anyway. Um, you want to make so, sure. So, yeah. During the trial, she had a lawyer who seemed competent, although completely undermined by his client. But mm-hmm. she chose to cross-examine the case lead's inve- lead investigator, Eric Henderson, Anyway, by herself, Um, the Oregon State Police anthropologist testified that Haney's legs had been dismembered with an axe and that his thigh bones had been gnawed on by an animal um, and that he couldn't determine whether or not Haney had been dead before his legs were detached and chewed on. Um, but he did know that Delacino had three or four gunshot wounds to the head so since it was a shotgun it's a little harder to tell because it's not like a clean bullet hole Um, another weird thing Monica did during her trial is while she was in jail uh, she sent a birthday card to another inmate um, and signed it from the sweetest murderer in Jackson County Wow. Another thing that she Whoa. did. Whoa! <laughs> but wait, there's more? But wait, there's more! <laughs> uh, is that she would get frustrated during the trial and threaten to kill people and feed them to her pigs. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> She's real smart. 
So on April 21st, 2015, Monica was, no surprise, convicted on all counts. There had Wait, been six what? days. I know. Six days of testimony, and the jury deliberated for almost an hour. Oh, they didn't even wait to get a snack. <laughs> nope. So they they uh, convicted her for two counts of murder and abuse of a corpse. She was sentenced to 50 years in prison minimum. Mm-hmm. They did allow her some time served on the... Um, on the conviction of identity theft. So all the time that she spent in prison waiting for the trial like that. But who cares? Like she was no. 66. She will be there for at least another 50 years. Woman is never going anywhere. No. So after the verdict was read, uh, Monica addressed Haney's family and stuck to her story that she had disemboweled Haney or that she had discovered he was being disemboweled by the pigs. She didn't know how it had happened and that that's why she had killed him. She said that she never told anyone because, quote, I couldn't bring myself to call you and simply to say, hey, your father has finally showed up. Come get him out of my pig pen. I couldn't do it. <gasps> The jury did not buy that she shot Delacino five times in the head in self-defense, mostly because when they looked at the evidence, he would have had to have been lying face down on the ground to have been shot the way that she shot him. So not really a position in which you need to defend yourself. And there is no such thing as a mercy defense under Oregon law. So even if it were true that she had discovered the pigs randomly eating someone and shot him to put him out of his misery. It's still illegal. Uh. So there's that. But here is the thing that I learned that I had never considered before. Something has to be done about her property. Yeah. So it has to be cleaned. It, it poses a health risk during the investigation in the very, very early days of investigation, a bunch of the police officers investigating got sick. And they said they never determined whether it was something they had been exposed to there or whether they just all got the flu, but they got like seriously out of work sick. And from that point on had to wear respirators when they were on the property. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it can't sit the way it is. Monica does still own it, even though she's in prison. Like that's not something that, People can just go in and, and, you know, reclaim or give to the government or whatever else. Right. Um, And because she still owns it, she's still responsible for the cleanup. And so she could instigate cleanup on her own from prison, hire people or have her family or whoever hire people. She could deed the property to someone else and then Mm -hmm. they would be responsible for it. Or she could just do nothing. If she does nothing, then the government will hire crews to go in and clean up and then they'll put her with the bills. Ultimately, of course. Yeah, ultimately, she'll never be able to pay them. However, you do get money in prison, even if nobody gives you money in prison, you're allotted Mm -hmm. a certain amount. And um, some of that, I think they are required to actually you have to end up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of it, they would just take back. Right. um, So 
the first time they visited and they looked through everything, um, they found, you know, the raw open sewage and improperly stored tires and condemned buildings and just all kind places that were unfit for humans to even be. And it wasn't the first time actually that they had been out to the farm because of a complaint. But mm-hmm. at the time that they went out the first time, there wasn't like it was just more of a, hey, it's awful here. And so what happened was the, whoever it is, the public safety or whoever went out and put up uh, don't trespass or no trespassing signs. But mm-hmm. because there was nobody complaining that it was affecting them, and if you just stayed off the property, you were fine, they didn't have to do anything else with it. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. So no code enforcement actions of any kind. However, now that is no longer the case. They believe they will have to do a special hazardous material inventory before they can even hire the cleanup crews. Uh, It's already an unsafe condition. They know that there is risk of illness because it happened to the police officers. Right. They're going to have to do a hazardous site evaluation, and then they can figure out what what is going to happen and who's going to be in charge of everything. You can... She could sell her property as is, Mm -hmm. but when you sell a property in Oregon, you would have to have full disclosure of all environmental problems associated with the site, including the nature of the crimes that took place on premises. Um, In 91, she bought it for $35,000. In 2014, it should have been worth $272,000. She owns the property outright. She has a $2,100 lien from a construction company that she never paid, but it's it's worth a lot more than she bought it for. And so she could... But I bet that won't go anywhere near the cleanup. No, I would imagine... I would imagine not. But it might... Well, I don't know. If it was close, it might be in her best interest to deed it to someone else. Hmm. I don't know. Um, Right now, her defense attorney spoke on the topic, and she said that Monica plans to hold on to the property at least until after her automatic appeal because she doesn't want to let it go. Don't think she's getting out. I know. I agree. But I wonder if it's kind of like it is the only thing I have in the entire world, and if I just give it away, then I have nothing. Yeah. No, I can see that. Although I wonder if part of it's too, like, she does not seem like she's on top of things. Does she think an appeal will work? Does she think she will be released on a technicality or appeal or what have you? God, can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? I mean, like, they, there was no motive. Like, none of the, I read probably six articles on this and no one talked about motive other than she claims one of them was a mercy killing and the other one attacked her. And that is pretty much 100% impossible in both cases. So right. she just killed them and fed them to her pigs. And I don't know what she was doing with the pigs. I, I'm hoping that their whole life cycle was just to be a garbage disposal because. Even without the humans, she's just been knowingly feeding them deceased pets and like right other and I'm fine things. with pigs eating meat and then people eating pigs like whatever, but not like my cat mysteriously died of something and so I fed right. it to the pig and then I ate the pig. <laughs> 
that's not right. Okay. No, that's a step too far. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, was she selling them for meat? Right. Was she part of a? I don't really know how any of that works. She could have even just sold it to like a local butcher or a local processing plant. Or were they just kind of pets? I mean, if she, I don't know. Well, and she bought the property. She hadn't even owned it that long. So like, she was like, hey, I want a pig farm. And went out and bought a pig farm and then turned it into this unlivable, hazardous waste murder place. Which, to be fair, if I bought a pig farm, that's exactly what it would turn into because I do not know how to be a pig farmer. Yeah. But I don't think it would turn into it that way. If you bought a pig farm, maybe the pig area would be like that. <laughs> Surely <laughs> you would have plumbing and running water. And not piles of filth and garbage in your house just because you don't know how to tend to a pig. That's true. I probably would not have lost my ability to wash floor. Right. And really, between the time that it went from $35,000 to a market value of almost $300,000, if you decided you weren't good at pigs... You could lose the pigs could do something about that. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Weird. Upsetting. But also, I got to tell a story where pigs ate the body. And you know what's really disappointing? It didn't Mm. work well enough. No, I thought they would do a better job. I agree. I wonder if it's because she collected body parts and put them in bags like if she had just let them continue maybe it would have been okay maybe but i also think that i would maybe not necessarily get myself in between a pig and what it's eating especially if what it's eating is the same species as me right yeah yeah although honestly really i don't know that i'd get between a pig and any food, <laughs> whether or not it would well, no, like I, me or not. I agree. That just that, seems like, like a real poor idea. Yeah. I, Ugh. yeah. So there you go. I would also like to point out that this is not the only serial killer who fed their victims to pigs. And that I did not do the more popular one. Um, And I'm not even going to tell you who it is, but I wonder if any of our listeners could, because I read the name and I was like, oh, wait, that's one I know. Yeah, no, I totally know who it is. And uh, somebody else just did a three-part series on it. Awesome. (laughs) Which is very good. So if anybody knows what we're talking about, you should go listen to it. So Diana, any pigs in your story? Oh, definitely not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to go to the, the other end of the spectrum here. The other end of the spectrum? What's so the opposite gonna, of a pig? Paris. Ooh. All right. <laughs> uh, although only very briefly. So last time on Crime Crazy, I covered the spectacularly criminal life of Marjorie Congdon slash multiple other last names. Uh, the woman who started out her criminal career by probably encouraging her near-do-well husband to murder her millionaire mother for the money. Probably. So this week... Probably is generous. <laughs> Definitely. 
Yeah. Yeah. So this week I decided to see if there were any other criminal heiresses. And uh, there are. There, there are quite a lot. Although a lot of those stories are overshadowed by stories of the heiresses that just had a real shit life. And it was kind of sad. But this one is... I mean, people get murdered, but it's not as tragic as some of the other stories I read. <laughs> okay. So for today's Rich Women of Crime, I present to you Alice Silverthorne de Jonzay, which I am pretty sure I am not pronouncing correctly. De Jonzay? It's D-E-J-A-N-Z-E accent aigu. Okay. That sounds right. Sounds good. I know, but it just seems like a weird name. Agreed. All right. Alice Silverthorne was born in New York in 1899. She was the only child of Father William Edward Silverthorne, who was a textile industrialist, and Julia Bell Chapin, who was part of the Armour Meatpacking family. They work in pigs. Yeah. (laughs) She was raised in Chicago in the Gold Coast neighborhood. Her mother died from complications of tuberculosis when Alice was eight. And her father was overly preoccupied with making money and the bottle, so he wasn't around much. And Alice was mostly raised by her German nanny. William remarried pretty quickly, had five kids with a second wife, only one of whom for sure lived to adulthood. There's one child that was listed as born, but nobody seemed to know what happened to her. Oh. So maybe she made it to adulthood and, like, got married and lost. Um, He divorced the second wife, went on to marry two more times in his life. When Alice was in her early adolescence, she was introduced into a wild social life by her father, who also took her to Europe several times and promoted her image as a prominent debutante. There is some debate as to whether he had an inappropriate relationship with Alice. Mm -hmm. But either way, he lost custody of her when she was 14 when one of her uncles took her father to court over the alleged incest. That uncle sent her off to a boarding school in D.C., uh, and thereafter she lived with her mother's relatives in New York. When she was about 22, she was living in Paris, had a job for a, I think it was a fashion designer or something, something very fancy. And she met Frédéric Jacques Comte de Jeanze, Jeanze, I don't know. He was, (laughs) he was a, He was a race car driver and the heir of a very important family in Brittany. Mm. After a three-week romance, the two were married in Chicago. It practically took three weeks to get to Chicago back in those days. Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) That's really fast. That's really fast. But also when you have to plan travel between Paris and Chicago in the 1920s. Yeah. mm, Three weeks. I don't know. You seem cute. Let's get on a boat. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We've known each other too long. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we go right now, we'll know each other by the time we get married. That's right. It'll be totally cool. We'll be staying in this tiny little cabin being seasick together if that's not true love. No, no, no. They were loaded. No tiny cabin. Oh, okay. I'm sure they traveled in style. Uh, they were married in Chicago. They had a quick trip up to New York and decided to settle in Paris. They had two daughters together, to whom they were neglectful parents, and the girls were mostly raised by nannies and Frederick's sister. 
1925, Frederick and Alice became close friends with Joslyn, who was the 22nd Earl of Errol, and his wife, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's spelled I-D-I-N-A, so it might be Edina? Sure. So we're going to go with that. Joslyn and Edina invited Frederick and Alice to their home in the Happy Valley area of Kenya. The Happy Valley... Happy Valley was a community of British colonials, mostly titled and very rich, that had become well known among the socialites in the UK for those seeking a hedonistic lifestyle, complete with sex, drugs and alcohol, because it was the 20s and there was no rock and roll yet. Well. Frederick and Alice took a house there, uh, became neighbors to Joss and Edina, and Alice started up an affair with Joss. Hmm. Frederick and Alice returned to Happy Valley the next year in 1926, where Frederick took up lion hunting and Alice took up screwing a British nobleman, Raymond Vincent de Trafford. This was At least a pretty. They had their hobbies. Well, in, so he's reading a little bit about this Happy Valley, which I'd never heard of before. It's like this community of not even expats they kept calling them colonials and i think that's probably the best way like a bunch of rich white people that wanted to be exotic so they moved to africa and built a rich white community right um but they were talking you know right but they talked about like everybody was partner swapping and there were all sorts of affairs and you know when she started sleeping with uh with the Earl of Errol, that was cool because she and the wife were best friends and the wife knew that she'd bring the husband back and oh, she might have been fucking her husband on the side. Like, everybody so was fucking everybody. community. Totally. Just a bunch of open of marriages. Bunch of open marriages. And drugs. All sorts of drugs. <laughs> all sorts of booze. All sorts of craziness going on. Sounds like kind of a great time. I'm not going to lie. I, it, it does kind of sound like <laughs> The lion hunting, I don't approve of. But, you know, the rest of it's whatever. No, but like the going out in the Jeep and finding a lion to look at and go, holy shit, that's awesome. It could kill me. I'm on board with that. Let's go fast. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Also, like the invading another country's land and putting your rich whiteness all over it. That part's not cool either. But (laughs) the rest of it sounds kind of fun. So she was having an affair with uh, Raymond de Trafford, and it was a pretty serious affair. At one point, they attempted to elope, which is interesting because she was definitely still married, uh, but returned back to Happy Valley. Just They just were like, oh, man, we ran out of gas. Let's go home. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Didn't really get the whole story on that. That fall, Frederick brought Alice back to Paris to try to save their marriage, but he was not successful. Alice asked her mother-in-law to help her get a divorce, which the mother-in-law declined to do, but did lend Alice a flat in Paris to use as a love nest with her new boyfriend. So but Frederick honey, filed for you divorce. Were so happily married when you could sleep with anyone you wanted. I don't right. think you need a divorce. Here, have a flat. Right, exactly. So her husband filed for divorce. On the morning of March 25th, 1927, Alice and Raymond met up. Raymond was in Paris. And Raymond told Alice that because his family was very, very Catholic, they would disinherit him if he followed through on the plan to marry Alice. Then they went shopping, where Alice bought a gold-mounted, pearl-handled revolver. Um... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And bullets. 
mm-hmm. you know. This is going to end well. Super well. Uh, at the Gare du Nord later that day, Raymond was on the train to go home to London. Alice was in the car saying goodbye when she pulled out her little revolver and shot him in the stomach, puncturing his lung and then turned the gun and shot herself in the stomach. Oh. The train, con- the train conductor opened the door and Alice said, I did it before collapsing. They were both taken to hospital where de Trafford spent several days in critical condition. And Alice's family tried to take her to a fancy private clinic, but they were stopped because she was technically under arrest. Yes. <laughs> Alice said that she regretted shooting Raymond, but didn't give much of an explanation, saying to one police officer, I decided to shoot him just as the train was leaving. Why is my own secret? Don't ask me. Um, when Raymond regained... Yeah. When Raymond regained consciousness, he made a statement, which he used to try to protect Alice, saying, Why, Madame attempted suicide. I tried to stop her, and the weapon was accidentally discharged. A deplorable accident, surely, but yet an accident. Dude, you bought her a gun, which she immediately used to shoot you in the stomach. She bought a gun. He didn't buy it. She bought it. They went shopping together. They went shopping together. They went to a sporting goods store. Or that's what they called it. I'm sure it wasn't like a dicks. And she bought it. And one of the clips in one of the articles I read, she was asked about like, he was with you when you bought the gun. Like, didn't he say anything? She's like, nah, he figured I was on an errand for my husband. Like, whoa. Um, I don't know way, about you, but my husband never sent me out to go buy a gun. Well, <laughs> like, no. And if he did perhaps the person with whom you were having an affair would be the reason he wanted the gun like i just this can't end well for him right but just also how does that come up in casual conversation hey on the way back from the store would you pick me up a gun right (laughs) right you're going shopping with your boyfriend today right right goodness alice officially confessed to the shootings on april 2nd In her written statement, she said she'd tried to commit suicide several times in her life, saying, I wanted to kill myself, for I have always had ideas of suicide. From time to time, and without reason, I have wanted to die. She was officially charged with attempted murder with premeditation on April 5th, and made a special statement three days later that she'd only meant to commit suicide when she bought the gun, but acted on impulse when she shot Raymond during the anguish of the last moment's separation as we embraced. I... Mm-hmm. You know what else has never happened? Never had a gun pulled on me when I'm hugging a dude. Uh, no, I know that. Yeah. On April 9th, Raymond returned to London, telling the authorities in Paris that he didn't want to take further action against Alice. But if he had to, he'd return to give his testimony. Meanwhile, Alice was being held at the women's prison, St. Lazare, in cell 12, which at one point also held Matahari. She petitioned the judge for release, which was granted, and she was whisked to a Paris nursing home by her aunt to await trial. I get the impression that nursing home is not what we're thinking of right now. No. To a resort. Kind of, yeah. With some medical staff. Sure. The trial began on December 23rd, 1927, but only for the assault charge. Her lawyer had convinced the court that Alice was mentally irresponsible at the time she shot Raymond and that her chronic melancholy and tuberculosis had deadened her intelligence. She had chronic TB? She did. She had um, chronic asymptomatic TB. Oh. 
Yeah. I mean, I do feel like this woman could have could have benefited from some um, antidepressants, it sounds like, and, yeah. and some therapy and um, maybe antipsychotics, uh, yeah. but certainly some sort of help. 1920s. Yeah. No, I know. But like <laughs> none of that existed. She could have also used some antibiotics to take care yeah, of that also, TB. Also antibiotics. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She received a suspended sentence of six months in prison and a fine of 100 francs, which was approximately four U.S. dollars at the time. And under the First Offenders Act, she was immediately released. She received a full presidential pardon in 1929, so full that even the 100 francs was returned to her. Why? What? Why? Um, There was some fuss, I think, from her family and from his family that her notoriety was fucking with their business. Like around this time, like her family in the States was releasing statements about, we've always been a really good family. Don't look at this. Um, Her aunts were telling her not to return to Chicago because she wouldn't be welcome in any of the neighborhoods. Like it was, it was a situation. I mean, (laughs) okay. Yeah. That is exactly why you should pardon somebody. Exactly. In the midst of all of this, uh, Frederick DeJonze won his divorce from Alice on the grounds of desertion. I suppose it is desertion (laughs) when you go to jail for shooting your lover. Right. Uh, Alice received no alimony and Frederick got custody of the children. The civil divorce was followed by an annulment from the Vatican. And Frederick's attorney warned every newspaper in England to never, ever, ever refer to Alice as Countess de Jonze again. (laughs) Well. Yes. In 1928, Alice returned to Kenya, but was ordered to leave by the government as an undesirable alien. Oh, my God. (laughs) The entire country was like, get out. Nope. While she was working on her plans to get home, because apparently just getting on a damn plane was not an option, she stayed with a writer friend and took up with Lord Errol again. Hmm. When she returned, want to think twice about the likelihood of you know getting shot in the stomach. Oh, he certainly should have. Oh God! When she returned to Paris, it was revealed that she had again started an affair with Raymond Vincent de Trafford. (laughs) I wish I had screenshotted that face. There were many rumors about an impending wedding between the two, but that didn't actually take place until 1932, and that marriage lasted three months, ending when they got into an argument on a train. Oh, it gets better. No, this is so good. Alice told Raymond that she'd purchased the cottage in Happy Valley where they'd started their affair, which turned out to be like a massive farmhouse, and thought it would be the perfect honeymoon getaway. Raymond wasn't thrilled about well, they he eventually talked the government into letting her back. Yeah. So she was at by that point. Uh, but Raymond wasn't thrilled about that idea. And while they were arguing, Alice absentmindedly reached into her purse, which terrified Raymond, and he fled. <laughs> <laughs> she later said she didn't have a gun. She just wanted to powder her nose and was grabbing it from her purse. I don't know if I believe that or not, but it's 
still quite the picture. It's wonderful. Uh, Raymond fled to Australia. Alice filed for divorce. Legal shenanigans occurred, and they were divorced in 1937. She ended up having to sue him for uh, desertion because he would not come back. (laughs) (laughs) He fled from the particular car that they were in on the train and then then started divorce proceedings from across town no he went to australia no no no. he went to australia and wouldn't come back to town to sign the papers oh my god (laughs) and yet he married her oh yeah well in again one of the articles was you know she would talk about how they had this wonderful love story and of course they got married and blah 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 and the writer pointed out she had to beg him for three years to marry her but he did (laughs) But he, he was too afraid to be in the same continent as her. <laughs> Fair enough. Alice returned to Kenya uh, to the large farmhouse where she and Raymond first fell in love. She took care of her animals, including lions and panthers and antelope, bred and developed a drug problem. In 1941, Lord Errol was found shot to death in his car in Nairobi. Although Alice had an alibi, she was with her new guy, Dickie Pembroke. Her history with Errol, drugs, and shooting lovers made her the prime suspect in Errol's murder. The morning after his body was discovered, Alice went to the morgue to identify the body. She left a tree branch on Errol's body, whispering, Now you are mine forever. (gasps) Creepy as fuck. Sir Henry John Jock Delves Broughton was eventually charged with the murder because Errol had been sleeping with his wife, Diana. But he was acquitted due to lack of evidence. All the evidence points to Alice having committed the murder, but she was never tried. In August of 1941, Alice was diagnosed with uterine cancer and had a hysterectomy. She attempted suicide in September, but was discovered by a friend who called a doctor to pump her stomach. She survived that suicide attempt, but not the next one. The next week, on September 30th, 1941, a servant found Alice in her bed, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. She left three suicide notes, one to the police, one to her daughters, and one to Dickie Pembroke. The contents of those letters have never been publicly disclosed, although the coroner in Nairobi stated that the contents of Alice's letters were such as to merit their being destroyed because they constituted damaging revelations of a social and political nature. (gasps) Oh, no, I want to read them now. So hard. Um, so one of the articles I read, one of the authors, because there are a couple of different books written about this. One of the authors was saying, well, Alice was, you know, distraught over her loss of youth and beauty and all of that. And, and that's why she committed suicide. I think it was the uterine cancer, because even yeah. now... That is a rough one to beat. And in the 1940s, is that what it was? 41? Well, and she had a history of suicide attempts and was not mentally healthy. And she had done horrible things. Like, yeah, it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. No. And then, yeah, probably was a pretty decent way to go. Boy, better than cancer. Yeah. Wow. So... I would also like to point out that in the spirit of Women's History Month, we both did women murders. (laughs) Equality. We can be horrible, too. 
<sighs> Although, also, your story was full of really stupid men. Oh, my God. She must have been really good in bed. That's got to be it, right? She was beautiful. Um, oh, beautiful. Um, you know, sometimes when you hear like past starlets or past, you know, socialites, whatever, beautiful, and you see a picture and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. she was beautiful. Um, through the ages, classically beautiful. And it sounded like she was a real good time. Um, yeah. You know, she was known to be kind of a, what my grandpa would have called a shit disturber. You know, yeah. she was loud and she had opinions and she swore and she drank and uh, there was the morphine, which was a situation. But, you know, so if not for she all was a the good shitting time. people in stomachs, she would have been a real badass. Right. Well, and so, so they talk about like they were hugging and she pulled out the gun like between them and shot him and then turned to shoot herself. And apparently her wound was initially overlooked because it like it wasn't super extensive, even though later on she would tell people that she'd been gravely injured. It wasn't right. One one author said that she had just lightly shot herself. Lightly shot herself. <laughs> just a little light I- shooting. And or I mean, gently, maybe it was gently. It was one of the two. It was just, yeah, it's just, oh just a wee bit. <laughs> I know that we can't assume that she knew anything about dying from a gut wound, but my understanding is that's awful. Awful. Yeah. So what a cruel, like, it's you didn't just kill him, but you killed him slowly. I mean, she didn't because he survived, but like right. her intent was to kill him slowly and painfully. And But again... It is kind of a miracle. So he lived until 1971. Um, yeah, He lived amazing. to be a decently old guy. There again, no antibiotics. He got shot no. in the gut. Shot in the guts. Yeah, where there's all sorts of shit that should Literally. be contained where it is. Right. Yes. And survived and, it and was lung. And it punctured his lung, and he was out of the hospital within a few weeks. That's amazing. In the 20s. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's really amazing. They kind of glossed over that whole part. Right. Um, But yeah, no, he made what... I mean, I'm going to call an amazing recovery because he was shot in the guts in the 20s. Yeah. And lived past it. Right. Lived another 50 years. Yeah. Huh. Huh. All right. Well, I don't know where my story is going next because, like, pigs was what was exciting to me. I feel like I need to move beyond that now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'm going next either. I'll have to think about that. Right? So mm-hmm. many great threads from both of these, though. I know. There's a lot of places. I actually thought about keeping that second murder uh, for a second story, but I did that last time. That mm, seemed redundant. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You gotta, you gotta keep mixing it up. That's right. And there wasn't nearly as much on that second murder as there was. Um, that gets more into the trial of that very clearly innocent man. Um, which isn't as fun. Right. Right. Although it would have opened up another thread. Although I guess it could open up another thread anyway. Trial of an innocent man. That's true. It could. You never know where we might go. It's true. <laughs> We're unpredictable. <laughs> Mostly because I don't know how how much in advance you research, but I did mine today. 
I also did mine today. (laughs) We surprise ourselves. Yes. Um, So I don't know if your weekend will include or if your past week has included any podcast listening, but I listened to some podcasts this week. (gasps) that I want to share so I I listened to several and um and but then I oh I don't even know how to start this story basically I saw a piece (laughs) of episode artwork and I looked at it and they were showing off like the their they have like a mascot that's a raven for this Mm -hmm. podcast and they were really excited about it and I was like but what is that episode title like I need to know more so I listened to, uh, it's called Everything is Awful Forever. And it is. I love it already. <laughs> right? And it is a lovely podcast, two British girls, and they are, um, they're just talking about, the way they put it was so much more graceful and hilarious than the way that I'll say it. But basically anything in history that is so tragic, disgusting or awful or horrific, but now it's been a really long time so we can laugh about it. (laughs) (laughs) I am subscribing now. (laughs) Yes. So they don't have terribly many. There are new podcasts and you can tell they're still like finding their footing a little bit. Um, But they, they're hilarious. They just have this great sense of humor. And the thing that I loved the most, I don't know if you know this, but like super gory crimes really appeal to me because I've noticed. I know, right? So a lot of times when true crime podcasts and such do super gory crimes, they gag through it or they, you know, skip over the really awful part or whatever. These girls, no, cast iron stomachs. They do not shy away from that darkness at all. And I really appreciate that. I love it. The episode I listened to mm-hmm. was called Medicinal Cannibalism. <gasps> Sawbones did an episode on that too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was this was very good. They talked about, I mean, they talked about cannibalism all throughout everything, like our assumptions about cannibalism and then who actually was cannibalizing other humans and for what purpose. And they ended with medicinal cannibalism and like all of the cures that you could get from eating different people and or different Mm -hmm. parts of people or whatever. And really focused on European cannibalism and finding it in places that you might not expect like in really recent times and in all throughout all of the classes and if the upper class are eating this kind of people well the lower class can't afford that kind of people and so they have to do this and it was fascinating but mostly it was hilarious and disgusting and I loved every moment of it um (laughs) they talked a lot about mummies right because that's Mm -hmm maybe the first thing that comes to mind when you think medicinal cannibalism is eating mummies. Um, And that's where the whole like jerky thing comes in (laughs) because they decided Uh. that it would be maybe like eating people jerky, but because mummies are like soaked in wine and spices and all of that Mm. in the like preservation, like that they would probably smell yummy. Um, Really (laughs) tough. But be really, really tough. I mean, and I I was pretty sure they ground them up into like powder, right? Didn't they eat them powdered? Mm-hmm. I don't think they chewed on them. I don't think they chewed on them, but like you've seen an unwrapped mummy, right? 
Yeah, they're like shiny and hard looking. Yeah. Yeah. So I could say jerky consistency, but like harder. Well, especially after thousands of years. Like I imagine they went through a jerky phase. (laughs) (laughs) Now they are not. (laughs) We need to redo these stages of uh, decomposition to include the jerky phase. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The jerky phase. Well, they also talked about Egyptian mummies. And that's what like rich people would eat. And then Mm. Arabian mummies, which are just poor people that got caught in the sand and then became (gasps) totally dead and desiccated but they kind of count because they're similar consistency and that's what poor people could eat dude i don't want to think of people as being of similar consistency (laughs) (laughs) that's just really unappealing (laughs) it's really awful so even worse is that they both were like yeah we would totally eat people jerky (laughs) I have since let them know that I don't think I am on that boat. Although if they find a willing victim, I won't judge them for it. But (laughs) I already have a hard enough time chewing like beef jerky. Well, I don't know. I I can. So I don't know. I might. I don't have a problem with it, but I know that presented, I mean, assuming that the person you're eating is cool with it and you didn't like rob a body from some family or, you know, murder somebody for the purpose of eating right. them or whatever. Like if we take away all of the other bad things, I don't really care if a person eats a person, whatever. Um, but when I eat fish, for example, I can eat a couple bites and I really do enjoy it. And then after a few bites, my brain goes, Haha, this is a fish. You know what yeah. a fish looks like? You know what they smell like? They breathe their own pee. And then I can't eat it anymore. <laughs> and I don't think I would make it that far with a person. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I would say now that the opportunity has not presented itself, that I would absolutely take the opportunity if all of those conditions are met. But when it comes down yes. to it, I don't know. I don't know if I would. That's what they said, too. They're like, we're talking about we would eat people jerky and we would eat this and that and the other because we are safely far away from that. Right. <laughs> right. Because what I have downstairs in my fridge is bacon. <laughs> right. From a pig. Absolutely. I mean, as far as I know. Right. Well, so there was that one time when we had these really <laughs> lovely neighbors back in Virginia. They were really, really lovely human beings. Um, and so I hate to say this, but when we first didn't know them very well, um, they're, the wife, we hadn't seen her for a little while. And then one day the husband brought us this big piece of smoked pork. And we were like, oh, that is so nice. And I had just listened to the wine and crime episode on Long Pig. And <laughs> um, and so it sat in the room and I was like, okay, nobody is going to eat this until we go over there and say thank you and lay eyes on the wife. Like, we need to know <laughs> this is pork and not, we don't know them well enough. And yet before we did that, I did taste it. So maybe I would eat people because I wasn't maybe. sure it wasn't people and I did eat it. You weren't sure that, yeah, there was not a Sweeney Todd situation going on next door. I, I know. I just, it, she, it wasn't the wife. We did then eventually see the wife many times. <laughs> <laughs> I should put that out there. But. Sometimes people just travel. 
or I think don't she might have been for a few days. sick or something. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, everything is awful forever. 100% recommend. Also, they are part of the Lady Pod Squad, which is our wonderful little network of women podcasters that I love. Uh, so Yay. everybody there is amazing and you should support them. Excellent. Yeah. So, Diana, as we close yes. out our episode, do you have any advice for us today? I do. Although I think people have probably already figured out my advice for this week. Uh-huh. Which is... If she shoots you, don't marry her. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that shouldn't even need to be said. It shouldn't. But I feel like maybe somebody should have taken that guy aside and, and had him rethink this decision a little bit. Yeah. Little also, bit. I am a little bit amazed that it took over three years for her to absentmindedly reach for something and for him to go, fuck, and get out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was just the last straw. Like in that moment, he was like, oh, my God, for the rest of my married life, every time she opens her purse, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to flip out. <laughs> I could totally see that. Call your people. Call your people. Wish them a happy St. Patrick's Day. Yay. It's the best time of the year. And it's grocery store daffodil season. <gasps> yes, I have some daffodils. Call Yay. your people. Buy daffodils. And don't end up on next week's episode.